if you are thinking of Gerson therapy and aligns well with you, just make sure you do it appropriately and you have a provider that understands what's being done because there could be a lot of potential harm that goes along with that. A lot of potential protein deficiencies and losing way too much weight or suppressing your thyroid or all kinds of things that could potentially happen if you aren't doing it appropriately. I'm not anti-Gerson therapy. There are things that I don't necessarily like about it. If you are going to do Gerson therapy, I think it should be a short-term thing and not something that's done as a lifestyle change and you're going to do it for years on end because I think it will lead to health detriments in the, in the future. You're listening to the Integrative Medical Podcast with Dr. Jake, a licensed naturopathic doctor who will show you how to tap into your body's natural ability to heal your health issue and improve your symptoms quickly without harmful drugs or devastating surgeries. So pour some tea, get comfortable where you are, and enjoy this healing episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am Teresa. I am a health nut and I'm a wife to a cancer fighter. And I'm here with Dr. Jake today to talk about the pros and cons of a very popular treatment called Gerson therapy. You may have heard it. It's a lot of talk about it. And I'm really excited to talk with Dr. Jake today about it. Dr. Jake. Yeah, it'll be exciting to talk about Gerson therapy because I have a lot of patients coming in into me that have heard about it. A lot of patients that are on the protocol and uh, I talk to them a lot about it. So it'd be good to talk to our audience about Gerson therapy and what is the pros and cons of that. And you know, what I'm most excited about specifically is that, you know, I've heard about it for a number of different ailments. My mom has actually even used it for her lupus. Um, and I know a number of people that I know, but really specifically what I'm most excited to talk about today is how it also has been used for cancer, because you are a integrative uh, naturopath oncologist as well. So you, you have a extensive research and knowledge in what fights cancer. Uh, and I know that the Gerson therapy approach is it's metabolic in many ways, but it also differs from some of the other, uh, other forms of treatment, integrative treatment for cancer. So I'm really excited to hear about just what you, what you've seen and what you, what you know about it and, you know, where it does well. And, where we might want to expand or shift if using it specifically for cancer. Um, but before we do audience, we do want to remind you that this is just a podcast, right? Dr. Jake. Yeah. So this is just a podcast. So we're not going to give any specific treatment advice or anything like that. So if you want a specific treatment or a specific protocol, give us a call at integrative Medica, visit our website, find our phone number and give us a call. Wonderful. So let's dive in. If you have experienced um, or used uh, the Gerson therapy, if you've heard about it, if you have family members who've heard about it, would love to hear your experience with it in the comments below. If you're uh, watching this on YouTube, um, let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear, would love to know any of your thoughts and uh, break, you know, any breakthroughs that you've had just listening to Dr. Jake today uh, as we talk and break down this therapy. So before we jump into what Gerson therapy is, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Max Gerson, the man himself who started it. Anything that you have on it? I've got a little bio that I grabbed. Um, but you know, I know that he uh, developed the Gerson therapy in the 1920s and 30s. He had a ton of success with it, um, with all sorts of debilitating, you know, diseases and so forth, diabetes, tuberculosis, um, you know, kidney failure, heart disease, all that kind of a thing. And here it is, you know, a hundred years later, 
and we're seeing people still use it. Anything that you can add on the history or, and, and locations of where they administer these therapies and so forth. So yeah, that's a lot of good information there. Yeah, it was started by Dr. Gerson in the 1920s, 1930s. It's a plant-based diet. Uh, there are clinics throughout the world that do the Gerson therapy. There are clinics all over the place. They just need to get cre credentialed by Gerson therapists. Some of the most popular ones are in Mexico. And I know of one in Denmark where you could go and uh, do the specific uh, protocol at those clinics and they can monitor you uh, really well. Um, you can do it just at home though. And you don't absolutely have to go to a clinic and do the Gerson therapy. But sometimes when you're getting started going down for one week and doing the protocol down at their clinics can be beneficial. And so typically somebody who has a debilitating disease uh, like cancer or, you know, an autoimmune condition or so forth, they would go to one of these clinics, ideally stay for a week, learn the protocol there do, is, is are there nurses and so forth that, that, yeah, that do it all for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they walk away and they leave with like a, a home plan. Yeah. The, uh, typically they do leave with a home plan. It depends on the clinic, but yeah, they tell you exactly how you need a juice, what type of juices that you do, what type of diet you have to follow, what supplements you need to do, et cetera. Now, do you know if the Gerson Institute, how do they measure their success with their, the program? Do they do like CT scans, MRIs, blood work, things like that to measure, you know, what, how people came in and, and how they leave? How do they know if it's successful and if it's working? Um, that's a good question. I don't know if they are doing that or not. I would suppose that the, the more popular clinics or the ones seeing a lot of patients are doing scans, or they might just tell their patients to go do the scans when they get home. I don't, I don't know that answer. I haven't been to a person uh, clinic or talked to patients that have gone to these clinics. So I can't uh, What I know yeah, with, you know, a, a lot of just a metabolic approach to to any really con condition, if you're going to be doing something like that, it seems wise to build your own, uh, medical team, right? So you have your, your you know, you may a main doctor, you might bring in a nutritionist, you might bring in an integrative doctor, a naturopath, you might have a collection of, of different experts that you go to for, for various things. So I would hope that anybody who is doing Gerson therapy is if, if they're not getting the scans, if they're not getting the blood work from the Institute themselves, that they're seeing an integrative doctor and, uh, or any other type of medical professional that could provide them the scans and the labs so that they could actually measure their progress and not basing it just on how they feel. I think that would be the wisest decision. And I assume that some of these people are doing that. So let's get into what is it? It's a plant-based diet or the protocol in, in, involves a combination of a plant-based diet. What else, Dr. Jake, that these people are, are doing so, in their yeah, approach? It's a, so it is a plant-based diet. So they're not using any animal products at all. And it's a really low fat diet too. So they do limit nuts and seeds. And then obviously the, the fats from animal products. They also do something called a coffee enema, uh, which can help detoxify the liver and help detoxify the colon. They do this like one to four times, depending on the Gerson therapist and how much they suggested, or I suppose it's based on the vitality of the patient. And then they prescribe several different supplements that you need to be doing. Like they prescribe potassium, they prescribe niacin, thyroid hormone, and uh, digestive enzymes. Uh, so that's part of their whole protocol there. 
and they have specific juices that you do. So you're going to eat plant-based, but then you're juicing a great deal too. So you're getting about 15 to 20 pounds of organic produce. And it is very important. They, they specify that it has to be organic produce. You don't get other type of produce and you're juicing that and you're doing about 15 to 20 pounds of juice. And usually the juice entails uh, carrots, apples, and then some other greens. Okay. So let's break it down. You have a ton of experience uh, working with people of all sorts of uh, conditions, uh, including cancers. And you obviously are an advocate for metabolic and integrative approach. And so I imagine there's a lot here that's, that's, that they're doing really well. And then other things that you could expand on. So let's start with the diet. Um, so going from their website, it says the Gerson therapy diet is plant-based and entirely organic. The diet is naturally high in vitamins, minerals, enzymes, micronutrients, and extremely low in sodium fats and proteins. In addition to the Gerson juices, juices, patients eat three full plant-based meals, freshly prepared from organically grown fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. A typical meal will include salad, cooked vegetables, baked potatoes, Hippocrates soup, and juice with fresh fruits, vegetables, and other snacks available in between meals and juices. All right. What do you think, Dr. Jake, where is that? Where is some strengths in this? Where are the, where do you have concern and in what situations? So regarding cancer, I think it is great because it's a plant-based diet. Uh, animal products have been shown in the research to promote cancer growth and people that eat more animal products have more potential risk of getting cancer. So that is a great part of, of the diet. Decreasing the so amount of sodium that you have in your diet is a great idea. Increasing the amount of potassium is a really great idea too. Now, Why is that, Dr. Jake? Why is low sodium, high potassium good? So many of us are just oversaturating ourselves with a ton of sodium. So we're eating a lot of salt and we need a good ratio between our potassium and sodium. And we really need a higher amount of potassium than sodium in our diet. And we get the potassium from our fruits and vegetables. Um, so many times, and that helps our cells work better when we have that appropriate ratio. So that's what the Gerson therapy is doing. There is trying to decrease that. In my opinion, they're decreasing the sodium too much and it's causing electrolyte imbalances and causing a lot of side effects there. But I do like the idea that it is discussing decreasing sodium, but majority of the cancer patients, when I'm putting them on protocols are not going to be getting a lot of sodium anyways. Usually people that are getting a lot of sodium are the ones getting really eating a lot of packaged foods, which are always something I discuss with my patients that we need to limit how much packaged foods that we have. But yeah, it's all about that cellular balance of helping your cells work better and metabolically efficient when we don't have way too much sodium compared to potassium. If you get way too much sodium, it's causing a huge imbalance of potassium, and you just have to eat a ton more vegetables and fruits to get that balance back. I love it. Okay, great. So then let's talk about some of the other, other areas of the, of this diet that you think is working yeah, or that's yeah. good. And then, and where you have some concerns, some concerns I have it. Now, if you do the short term, this isn't a huge concern there. Like let's say if you're doing it just for a month or two is it's, it says you eat really low protein. So if you're eating that low of protein, you're going to lose a lot of muscle mass. And over time, that's actually going to increase your amount of fat you have around your body compared to how much muscle you have on your body. And we don't want to have more fat compared to our muscle. And that's going to mess with our metabolism too. 
Now, if you do it short, short term, like a month or two, this might not be a concern, but if you do it long term, it's going to be very unhealthy and you're going to lose a lot of your muscle mass and feel very weak and tired because of that lack of protein. I get the idea of decreasing the fat in the diet to try with that in some instances, but actually with cancer, I'm a huge fat advocate. It just is a matter about how much fat you get in your diet. So that's kind of where we falter a lot on this diet is decreasing your fat and protein because I'm not a huge advocate of that. It's, it matters about what type of protein and what type of fat you're getting, not just saying, oh yeah, we're going to decrease all protein and all fat. So I don't really align myself with that uh, thought process that Dr. Gershon has there. I am a proponent that I think coffee enemas can be beneficial. Now, do I, I detox in a different way? And this is why coffee enemas can be good and can be a strong detox through the liver and in the colon. Now, if you're doing that every day and you're doing that maybe four times a day, that is going to really deplete your body of potassium. So you're, mm. I know you're getting a ton of potassium in the diet, which is great. But if you're doing coffee enemas every day, you're going to really deplete that potassium effect. You're going to really dehydrate the body. Plus, you're going to weaken the sphincters and the muscles in your colon and weaken those, all those muscles in there so you're not able to have a great valve movement later. So doing this periodically rotating uh, coffee enemas can be good. But in the Gerson therapy, there's not a lot of discussion of that. You just keep on doing uh, coffee enemas every day to detox, which can be a good detox. But we have a lot of other mechanisms like sweating, taking certain herbs that help detox through the liver and the GI tract. So short-term use of coffee enemas can be good, but not long-term use of coffee enemas if we are going to do, do that. Plus, if you're doing that, you might not think you're getting a ton of caffeine in your body, but you are getting a lot of caffeine. So it's going to really jazz you up and maybe put some taxation on those adrenal glands. So doing it too much can definitely be an issue there. As an alternative, if, they, if somebody wanted to like all, alternate uh, between coffee enemas and then some other less invasive, less drying out uh, forms of detoxification. What are some herbs or other methods that you might recommend? Yeah. So some herbs that we could use to detox the liver is we could do dandelion root. We could do artichoke root. Um, we could do some cassandra berry. Um, there's all kinds of different herbs that we can use uh, to stimulate the detoxification pathways in the liver to get it cleaned out. Um, yep. And then eating tons of fiber mm. is a really great way to help clean out the GI tract, which you're getting from the vegetables. Right. Now I was reading that, uh, and I know my, for my mom specifically, she's a lupus uh, survivor. Uh, she's had lupus for gosh, I mean, diagnosed when I was 13 um, mm. and I'm 42 now. Um, and so she's, she's thrived. She's thrived. She's done a number of different um, protocols and things that she does to keep her body going. One of the things that she does is uh, coffee enemas. I don't think she does it four times a day. I, don't, I think it's more of like a once a week kind of a thing, but yeah. her big thing that she mentioned is the benefits of glutathione coffee enemas that there's just, it, it significantly increases the glutathione on the body and that helps her with her detoxification. What can you speak on when it comes to increasing glutathione in other ways besides coffee enemas? So there's a ton of different ways we can increase a uh glutathione on our body. We've talked about this in previous episodes. We could take NAC to stimulate glutathione. Uh, you could take pure glutathione in a liposomal form. You could do even IV form, which is stronger than anything you could do on the planet to increase your glutathione levels. There's a lot of different herbs that increase glutathione levels, like thistle will increase your glutathione levels. Turmeric increases glutathione levels. 
and multiple other herbs. So you don't have to do coffee enemas to increase that glutathione production. A lot of other ways. Great. I appreciate that. Um, let us know in the comments below, if you're taking anything to boost glutathione or, you know, other types of herbs for your detoxification, uh, that Dr. Jake's uh, is speaking on today. Let us know in the comments so that we can see what you're doing too. Going back to diet. There's a couple of things that I wanted to ask specifically about this. What I've learned, my husband is a, is a cancer fighter. And one of the things that we've learned is that tumors specifically, um, there are a number of different pathways that feed tumors, tons of different ways. But when it comes to like the, the basics of food and what food is made up of energy wise, um, the biggest ones that feed uh, tumors that I've learned is glucose, right? That which comes in the forms of carbs, right? Sugars and, uh, and then, and then protein to some degree. Uh, and then some of some cancers are fat driven. Most aren't uh, that I've read but glucose, the carbs is a big one. And I know that one of the things that, you know, we can see as to which ones really do for example, is, you know, when you go to get a CT scan for a tumor to see how your tumors are doing, they give you a glucose beverage so that the tumor it's, it's, it's radioactive, but that way when, when they drink it, the tumors suck up all the glucose because it loves glucose. And then the CT scan is able to find that radioactive glucose in those tumors. So that seems to be pretty clear that it's like glucose. They love it. They love carbs. When I see this diet, I see a lot of carbohydrates. Now it's not refined, which is great, right? I'm not seeing breads and well, maybe it, actually there is some whole grains, uh, but you know, I'm not seeing like white bread and things like that, but fruit is fructose, which is like, I think one molecule bigger than glucose. So it's quickly broken down into glucose whole grains. When I, and so I, even if I have a whole wheat bread, that's a lot of carbohydrates in there. I mean, that's like equivalent to, you know, candy almost, it seems contradictory to me, but I'm a layman in many ways, a health geek. Yes. But a layman still, um, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's low fat, great, low protein, great, but really high in this carbohydrate. So yeah, that's probably one of the biggest concerns I have regarding the diet is how much you are juicing of high sugar fruits and vegetables. So a big proponent of this diet is juicing carrots car and apples and carrots and apples are very high in sugar. And then you're juicing that. So you're taking away the fiber of that. So it even increases your spikes, your uh, blood sugar even more and feeds that cancer cell even more. So that's my biggest concern. I talk to my patients about this all the time is if you are going to be juicing, you need to be juicing uh, fruits and uh, vegetables that are low in sugar. And you only use like an apple or something to kind of give it a little bit of sweetness, not a main source of your uh, juice source. So yeah, so there's the Wahlberg effect in which the cancer cells take up the sugar Dr. Wahlberg was able to get a Nobel prize on that. So yes, I like me, I like to do a diet that's very low in carbohydrate or if I'm actively treating my patients. And then when we clear the cancer and get it in a maintenance phase, I do, I do increase the amount of carbohydrate my patients can eat. And maybe they could do a little bit more juicing at that point. But yeah, if we're pounding the sugar, I see the cancer is going to give, get all the fuel it needs to build a grow. So that's one of my concerns about the Gerson diet. You know, we juice, um, and, and it's purely just greens. Um, at first I, it, I agree with you that it, 
it, it could be a little hard for the palate if you're not used to pure green juices. You know, in those situations, if I'm making like a like a spinach juice, for example, or kale juice, which can get a little bitter, you know, maybe at first until you can get used to it, um, we'll, you know, I'll put like a, a one slice of green apple specifically into that juicer along with all of the other greens. I have at times earlier on in juicing, um, maybe put a drop or two of some stevia just to make it a little bit more palatable. But what I find is over time, you really get your palate just changes and you're able to just, you're able to really enjoy the Mm -hmm. flavor of a, a bitter juice, what can I say? So that you don't need it as much, but based on what you're saying here, looking at this diet, you if you were to alter this diet for a cancer patient specifically, you would continue it being plant-based, but you would probably reduce on the fruits specifically that they're ingesting and juicing, um, reducing the whole grains and then upping the fats, but specific types of fats. Can you speak on like what, what plant-based fats would you recommend for somebody who's on a plant-based diet? So yeah, I'm a, so this one's a Gerson therapy is very keen on decreasing your protein and fat, all proteins and fats. And that's opposite to what I suggest to my patients. Many times, if I'm seeing a patient with an aggressive cancer, I'm going to be prescribing a plant-based ketogenic diet. So that's really high fat, but from plants. So I advocate a lot of avocado oil, olive oil, uh, even coconut oil, these type of oils. Uh, and you eat a lot of those to be able to get your fat intake in there. So, and then you're going to change your body to being in a ketotic state using ketones for energy and not using sugar for its main energy source. So you don't get these big spikes for the sugar to be able to feed on and you're able to get good nutrition and all the spidey molecules from the plants. I also not a huge fan, like I said, of the really low protein content because of the loss of muscle mass. And I recommend eating a lot of nuts and seeds and the Gerson diet doesn't recommend doing that because you don't want to get too much fat and you don't want to get too much protein, but I'm a big proponent of using nuts and seeds. So again, we alter in those areas. Now I want to, I want to, you know, clarify for anybody who's listening here, I've done, I've tried different types of diets and things like that. You know, let me try paleo. Let me try this. And if you don't do it, if you don't understand, if you don't understand how carbohydrates and fat really work for energy, and you start doing, making tweaks because you're not used to it, it can go wrong. So like for this Gerson diet, you'll, you'll have a lot of energy doing the traditional Gerson way because it's high in carbohydrates. And so the carbohydrates will give you that energy. So you've got low fat, low protein. You'll still have that energy from the carbohydrates. But if you go into this diet and go, okay, Hey, I heard Dr. Jake mention that I uh, shouldn't do the whole grains and, and, and Gerson's low fat. And then you just alter it where you're just eating the vegetables, but you're still, you're not doing the grains and you're not doing the fat and you're not doing the protein. You're going to get tired real quick. So where Dr. Jake's approach is, which is a plant-based ketogenic diet. Yes. It's going to be less carbohydrates because you're not doing the whole grains. You're not doing as much of the fruit and so forth, but what you're, what you're doing is it to get more energy. You're actually getting your energy from your fat. And that's where ketogenesis comes in is it actually teaches your body to get its energy from fat. So you have to become fat adapted. So instead of burning glucose for fat or for energy, your body starts to burn the fat for energy. So it's not going to make you fat and you'll get, you'll be energized. If you don't do it, if you do the plant-based low carb and don't do the fat, because you were raised like me in the eighties where fat is bad, you're going to feel so, so tired. 
So really, if you're going to make some alterations, really pay attention to what Dr. Jake mentioned about upping that avocado and that olive oils and those types of things. And if you actually do any research, you'll find that in the, in the blue zones of the world, which are areas of the world where the people who lived there over the you know course of you know human history and so forth have, have really had just a lot of long, healthy lives, like longevity is very known there. One common thing that you'll find in all the places, no matter what kind of diet it is, is it is high in healthy fats. So listen to Dr. Jake, healthy fats are not bad for you. They're very good. Okay. So we've talked a bit about juicing and reducing that sugar. Um, you mentioned a little bit about fiber and how fiber, when you're not, when you pull the fiber out and now you're just drinking the juice, they're actually, especially when there's fruit in it, you're actually increasing the amount of glucose that's in there, um, making it all the more cancer, cancer, you know, the cancer is going to love that. How can somebody juice then with fiber and include the fiber in there so that they get the benefits of the, of the vitamins and the minerals from the juice, but they're reducing the, the glucose that they're getting. So one way is you can do, instead of juicing, you can do smoothies, which is going to still keep that fiber in there. But you're not going to be able to drink as much of that smoothie because it has the fiber in there. So you're not getting as much nutrients in as if you are juicing. So you could do a combination of you're still eating three meals a day and you're eating a lot of vegetables that are high in fiber, and then you're still juicing. So you are still getting a lot of fiber in there, but you're juicing with a low sugar um, type of juice that's hot, like spinach or celery or kale and these type of things that don't have a lot of sugar in them. So that's one way to do it is you could either do smoothies, but I do like the juicing because you do get really high nutrients and it doesn't make you full. So you're able to drink more of that. And if you keep the sugar low, I really do like that. So eat a good diet three times a day of your vegetables, nuts, seeds, and things like that. You're going to get your fiber intake and then you could juice with low sugar vegetables. Great. All right. Last but not least the supplements that the Gerson therapy, uh, entails. So they entail us a, a, a specific potassium compound. So obviously they're not very clear on what that is. You might have some ideas and why they're doing that. Uh, Lugol's solution, uh, which is uh, like an iodine solution that we typically would use for like wounds, but you're actually ingesting it thyroid hormone and pancreatic enzymes. And finally niacin. So would you mind speaking to us on these? Why do you think that they're including these? How are these helpful? Uh, where might you be concerned? What might you add all of it? Share your so expertise. The, <laughs> yeah. So the big focus of the Gerson diet is to increase your med metabolic function and make your body work better, which then will let your immune cells work better and be able to fight the cancer cells better. So the big thing is potassium. So you're getting a ton of potassium from the fruits and vegetables you're eating but then they even load you more with the potassium supplement there. So I have no problem with that. Potassium is very important. It's not something I typically prescribe myself to all my cancer patients, except if they really do need potassium, especially when people are on a ketogenic diet, sometimes they really do need a, a potassium supplement, especially, but uh, so they're giving you potassium to help your cells uh, transfer their molecules in and out more effectively. Now, the Lugol's iodine, the idea behind that is to support your thyroid function. My concern with this, though, is you need to specifically test to see if someone's iodine is high or low because it's a fine balance between your iodine. If you're taking too much iodine, 
you can suppress your thyroid function and that's going to decrease your metabolism and defeat the entire purpose of the Gerson diet. So you need to take glucose iodine, you need to check your iodine levels, see where it's at, take glucose iodine, make sure it doesn't get too high. So I'm not anti-iodine. It's about getting a fine balance of iodine and not just willy-nilly taking iodine. Because I have seen people just suppress the heck out of their thyroid hormone because they think they're help, helping their thyroid, but they're actually overdosing iodine. And way back in the day, it was one of our main treatments for treating hyperthyroidism, making too much hormone with iodine. So iodine's good. Just make sure you get the right balance of the iodine there. Thyroid hormone. There is some good research on that. We want to keep our thyroid in good shape with cancer. So we want to keep like our TSH at like a one or so when we're treating cancer. So I like that idea. But sometimes if you're just taking thyroid hormone, you, let's say you you already have a good thyroid function, you're just taking thyroid hormone, you're going to over generate thyroid hormone and you're going to feel anxious, jittery, um, shaky. You're going to start losing a lot of weight. You're not going to feel very good. So it's about having a right balance there. So I don't just say take thyroid hormone and suppress the heck out of your TSH. You got to really have a balance and pay attention to what the person's doing. Regarding enzymes, I think it's good and healthy. I have no problem with enzymes. I do prescribe enzymes for specific cancers. So it is beneficial there. It can help break down uh, the, the cancer. And it also helps your body just work better and help you digest your food better, but also helps your cells work better. Also decreases inflammation in your body. So a lot of these things prescribed are good, healthy things that just need to be done under a specific doctor's re recommendation and someone that's actually tracking you for your health. And I hope most Gerson therapists are doing this, but I, I don't know specifically if they are or not. And then niacin, I think that was the last one. Oh, niacin there. So niacin is one of our major uh, mitochondrial supporters throughout our body. So again, that's going after our metabolism, helping the function of our cells work better. So taking niacin helps do that. When I'm thinking about this, uh, a couple of things that I've noticed one, if they're doing coffee enemas and you mentioned, I mean, think about somebody who's got like a belly bug, right? Um, what is our biggest concern when you're using the restroom multiple times a day is that you might become dehydrated. You might become, mm -hmm. um, uh, electrolyte imbalanced and so forth. And mm -hmm. so that's why we, a lot of people will drink Gatorade or something when they have a belly bug and those types of things. So it seems to me like they're adding that extra potassium as well to offset what might be depleted in the coffee enemas. Mm -hmm. The Lugol solution, interesting. I, I remember a while, oh my gosh, like two or three years ago, um, one of my friends was like, oh, try Lugol's. It totally helps your energy and so forth. And so I, I, I remember playing around with it and, and, and um, you know, putting a few drops in some water with some lemon juice and drinking it, it tastes like hospital. It's like the best way to describe it. Um, and I did, I did notice, um, some increase in my energy right away, uh, which was really neat, but I ended up, I ended up stopping as well because I, I, I did, I started to get a little nervous, like what's going on with my iodine levels. I love your recommendation that if anybody does any of these, don't do it with just hearing about, you know, Gerson therapy, and then just doing it all on your own, see a doctor, get your labs done, find out where your thyroid's at, find out where you know, your uh, iodine levels are at and so forth. Um, so that you can do this appropriately, uh, with the pancreatic enzymes. One of the things that I've learned and where, and I, I find that it's been really helpful for me is it seems like, uh, over time, as we get older, especially, we don't seem to produce the same amount of pancreatic enzymes as we did when we were younger. Interestingly enough, as we get older, we also have more diseases. We also age 
and eventually we die. <laughs> so it's interesting that when you actually look at what pancreatic enzymes do, which is help break down your food into the nutrients that your body can then use to replenish itself and to rebuild itself, that in many ways, it seems like pancreatic enzymes are like a, like a, almost a fountain of youth in some way. And, and of course with youth comes help. Can you speak on that at all? So yeah, pancreatic enzymes, depending on when you take it, uh, if you take pancreatic enzymes, when you're eating, it's going to help you digest your foods better. And yes, you do decrease, uh, your enzymes when you're age and you're not able to absorb your nutrients as well. And that's maybe why when you age, you get constipation, a lot of theoretical things on that, but yes, you're it, the better you absorb your food, the better nutrients you have, the better nutritional profile you have in your body, your body's going to work better. All mechanisms are going to work better. Your immune system, your mitochondrial function, your detoxification pathways, et cetera, all going to work better when you have good nutrients. So taking pancreatic enzymes with food can be really good for a lot of, a lot of people if they need that. If you take it away from food, it's going to do that anti-inflammatory thing that I was talking about, decrease that inflammatory process in your gut and throughout your bloodstream. My mom does that. And she was recommending it to, to, you know, to take it with your food, but that, uh, when you, when you take it on an empty stomach, that it, since it doesn't have food to break down, it'll go through your body and start breaking down all the other things that uh, are inflammatory, uh, biofilms and things that can build up in your gut uh, and so forth. Uh, so really, really helpful. I remember reading also somebody had, I think it was an old doctor of mine who said that a good pancreatic enzyme will replace a drawer full of supplements because you're getting it naturally then from your food. So um, as far as enzymes go, there's so many out there, Dr. Jake, are there any specific enzymes one should look for when finding a, a good pancreatic enzyme? So when I look at enzymes, uh, it depends on what we're going after. So there are enzymes that have HCL in there. That HCL will break down some of those enzymes and you won't get as high of a dose there. But what I see is a lot of people have low HCL production. So a combination of HCL with other pancreatic enzymes can be really beneficial. But again, it depends on each patient and I tailor that to their need. Um, you do want to make sure maybe has some amylase in there uh, that will help digest the carbohydrates, make sure it has lipase in there. That's going to help break down Fat. the fats. Bromelain can be a good papain enzymes. These are all natural forms that do have a lot of different uh, digesting enzymes in there. But yeah, you just want to make sure that it's a good quality product that actually has what it has in there because there are a lot of poor quality enzymes out there that aren't really doing much. So just make sure you're getting a third-party tested uh, product that you trust. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jake. Is there anything um, that I missed anything that you want to add any last, you know, Hey, I thought about this later that you want to add when it comes to, if somebody's watching right now and they have cancer, they're heard about person therapy, or they have an autoimmune condition and they've heard about it. Uh, any final words for them, um, before they move forward into, um, actually using the protocol. Yeah. So if you are thinking of Gerson therapy and aligns well with you, just make sure you do it appropriately and you have a provider that understands what's being done because there could be a lot of potential harm that goes along with that. A lot of potential protein deficiencies and losing way too much weight or suppressing your thyroid or all kinds of things that could potentially happen if you aren't doing it appropriately. I'm not anti-Gerson therapy. There are things that I don't necessarily like about it. If you are going to do Gerson therapy, I think it should be a short-term thing. 
and not something that's done as a lifestyle change and you're going to do it for years on end is I think it will lead to health detriments in the, in the future. All right. So if anybody wants, wants to, to give you a call for a specific uh, protocol for them and their labs and their needs, um, how can they get a hold of you? So yeah, if you're interested in uh, how I approach it and get ideas of different dietary advices on cancer or other health conditions, you can visit our website, integrativemedica.com, find our phone number there and give my lovely uh, receptionist a call and you can set up an appointment with me or some of my other fantastic doctors at the clinic. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Jake. For everyone else, click on that next video if you want to see more content when it comes to integrative medicine, metabolic approach to healing yourself of all sorts of different ailments. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Hey, Dr. Jake, thank you for your time today. And if you enjoyed the show, then do us a favor and leave a review. It helps more people to find the show, which could save their life. And remember, this is a podcast and should not replace personalized attention from a medical professional like Dr. Jake. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, cancer of any stage, or a life-changing illness, visit our website today and schedule a virtual appointment with one of our doctors who can lead you to a treatment plan in your area. That's integrativemedica.com. Integrative, M-E-D-I-C-A.com. Thank you for listening to the Integrative Medica podcast with Dr. Jake. To hear past episodes and get alerts for the future, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and be sure to follow us on YouTube as well. Just search for Integrative Medica with Dr. Jake.